This is Mom Goals. With world-class professional soccer player, Allie Long. In our episode with Amanda Tice, we discuss the concept of mom brain. So on today's episode, we are talking to health and science journalist, Chelsea Convoy, the author of the new book, Mother Brain, how neuroscience is rewriting the story of parenthood. Chelsea was part of the Boston Globe staff that won the 2014 Pulitzer Prize for breaking news for coverage of the Boston Marathon bombings. She has two young sons with her husband in Maine. Here's my conversation with Chelsea Convoy. I wish that I read your book either directly after I gave birth or leading into my birth because there are so many times where I would forget something or just think in a different way. And one of my friends was like, oh, it's because you have mom brain. And I'm like, what is mom brain, you know? And so um, just reading your preface and yeah, I was like, I, I had to like get ready to come and I kept like reading more and more. And I'm like, oh my God, this would have been so helpful if I would have uh, read this. And it makes so much sense. Thank you for saying that. I hear that a lot. And it's definitely, you know, I wrote the book that I needed in that time. So I, I relate to that a lot. Do you feel like reading your book was like healing in some way that gave you like, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm going through this and now I understand like everything that's happening and and what's going on. Absolutely. I mean, that's awesome. It totally reframed everything for me. Yeah. It like helped me with how I felt about my past experiences in motherhood, but then Mm -hmm. also going forward too. Okay. So do you remember the first time you heard the concept of mom brain? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think I do remember the first time. I think it's so, it's so ingrained in our culture. You know, it's such like a part of how we talk about mothers. I I think I, I feel like I, I knew the idea of mom brain probably before I heard it called that. Like I think about something like the comic strip, like Kathy or, or something (laughs) that like, like sense of like a forgetful frazzled, woman who like can't keep up anymore is so (laughs) like pervasive in so many ways in our culture and so I think that idea is such a part of how we talk about this time of life for sure so I've like actually once I heard the term mom brain and now you know reading a little bit of your book I feel like I had an excuse as to why I was the way I, I was directly I mean still am half the time but uh definitely closer to directly after birth, I felt. Um, It's just interesting to, um, you know, read what you've wrote and just to kind of feel like, okay, I'm not the only one. And there is a reason for all of this. Right. Um, And not only that, but it's also like, it's that like part where you sort of feel, I don't know, like you can't do as much or like that you're compromised somehow is like the, the big shift for me has been thinking about that, realizing how narrow a piece of the picture that is, that like, mm-hmm. actually, this is like a time of really powerful adaptation for the brain. And, and so that part where you feel either, you know, in my case, I was like, really overwhelmed with worry. And in, mm-hmm. in the early postpartum period, and just felt like, that made me feel like I wasn't a good mom, or that something was missing in me. And, um, but any part, any of these pieces that like, make us feel lesser are are like a part of the bigger picture which is our brain changing so that we can adapt to this role to like grow into it in a positive way ultimately is there anything that you researched during your time that during this like neuroplasticity time or your brain is changing did you learn that you can actually 
if you learn a new trait or if you try to learn a language during this time because your brain is so, you know, changing and developing new <laughs> neurological yeah. connections, is there a positive outlook in the sense like, yes, you are going through so much change and for adaptation for babies, but also like it's a really good time to maybe learn something because your brain right. is so like a new language in yeah, all your extra I don't know. time. I don't know. <laughs> not, not like a new language. That's a bad example, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. know, something like I mean, I- I think what you're asking is like, is this the time, does this neuroplasticity related to parenthood mean that like our brain is sort of like in like overdrive and like learning, right? Yes. And and so I don't, I, there aren't studies that have said like, if you learn to play a new sport or something in this time period, <laughs> you'll learn it more quickly. But there is evidence that like the changes that happen in this time of life are what they are doing is like pushing us into this real, really intense state of learning. And there are a couple of ways this shows up in the research. One, there's some research that looks at teenage mothers and compares them to um, non-mother teens and also to um, like adult mothers. And uh, the findings are a little bit nuanced, but basically one of the conclusions was that the teenage mothers kind of catch up in terms of like executive functioning Wow, that they, that like their brains kind of advance more quickly than their peers who aren't mothers in wow. that, in that um, area of like task management and shifting your attention and like kind of managing a lot of things at once because, <laughs> right. because like the baby, the pregnancy and the baby like demanded of them essentially. That's cool. So that's one way, one way that that kind of hyper learning state shows up. Yeah. I guess I was thinking like, should I have trained my left foot more when I was coming ah, back from, from pregnancy? Would, would I have a, like during this uh, time, you know, that's kind of where I was like thinking right away with my mind. So when interesting. I was reading. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know it, there's like a lot of research <laughs> that talks about like, um, habit formation and mm-hmm. how like during your when you're in like major transitions in your life like when you move or um you know you get married or you're in a new relationship or you're starting a new career like times when things are like in major upheaval that mm-hmm. like you can change your habits that, that oh, those are cool. times when like you're more likely to be able to change your habits and I write about that a little bit in the book in the context of parenthood that this is like a time of like super dramatic upheaval in every way so I do I wonder you could have tested that I should have um so what inspired you to do the research and write the book mother brain yeah well as I said it's really came really came from my own experience of new motherhood you know when I had my first child in 2015 I was in like a very stable place in my life I had a great loving husband, a good job. We were like more financially stable than probably at any other point in my adult life. And, and we wanted, we, you know, it was an expected pregnancy. We like planned it and I was um, a health reporter previously. And so I also like had done all the reading and mm-hmm. taken all the classes and felt like I had all the information I needed. And then still I was completely blindsided by the reality of brand new parenthood. And the degree to which I felt really overwhelmed with worry and anxiety about my son's well-being and the way that felt like a really powerful change in myself, like my internal life. Mm -hmm. And I went looking for, you know, the words that could help me understand that, which I hadn't gotten anywhere in my like prenatal education. And so um, I ended up 
reading a lot of the research that was coming out at the time on maternal anxiety and how the, you know, the early postpartum period, our brains go into this kind of hyper responsive state that drives us to like come back again and again to our child, even like when we don't <laughs> have the skills, you know, yeah. necessary to really care for them and to pay attention to like meet their needs and also to like learn over time and that how, how those changes can manifest as anxiety in many people. Um, but that like led me to this broader point that the brain changes, you know, bottom line, the brain is changed by pregnancy and parenthood. And I just, I wanted to know more. I wanted to know like, well, what else, what else am I missing? What else to like, haven't I learned um, in all these books that I've read about what, what those brain changes mean for me as a parent, but also for my life, my, my life at large. What do you feel like the biggest neurological change um, that you researched kind of surprised you or was the most interesting to you? Yeah. I mean, there's so many. I, I think um, really for me, like understanding that state of hyper-responsiveness, like understanding that the hormonal changes that you go through during pregnancy are like priming your brain to then be able to like receive your baby who are themselves like these really powerful stimuli for your brain. And that it like puts you into this, this state of mind where you're the areas of your brain that are involved in um, meaning making and vigilance and motivation are mm -hmm. more active and connected during those early postpartum months. And so like, it was huge, really huge for me to get that to know that like all that worry that I felt it was something that I needed to like grapple with and get support in, but also it was part of this productive process that was then shaping my brain, like for the long term, um, to help me to like be more responsive to my child's needs as they change over time and to be like more flexible in how I respond to them. I'll say that. And then one thing that I think is just really cool that I think we're going to get a lot more research on is what we know so far about the parental brain is really just in the early postpartum period, but there are these studies that are looking at the brains of older adults. So these are these like data banks of brain data from thousands of people in the UK and in Australia. And researchers have taken them and compared parents and non-parents. These are people in like their 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond. And they found that parents' brains are what researchers call younger looking, <laughs> which means that parenthood has like a protective effect against aging. And wow. I love this because for one thing, like it makes sense, you know, like we tell people like to like protect their brains in older life, like do crossword puzzles and stay active socially. And, right. and like the the parenting is like the like biggest crossword puzzle you could ever imagine. Like these constantly changing challenges that you have to solve these constantly mm -hmm. changing puzzles that are like, are, are really highly demanding on, on our brains and like sort of like help our brains, you know, through For our lives. Sure. And, and I love that because it's such a great counterpoint to this idea that like we're compromised somehow right. by motherhood. That's really cool. Yeah. I feel, I guess like I, I do think I've heard a lot like, you know, actually you quoted um, Johnson and Johnson saying like having a baby changes, you know, your life or forever or something along those lines. And um, and how many times I've I've heard that. And I think that, you know, not really explaining that you just think like, OK, yeah, now I have to take care of a human being and, you know, 
add that to the list of things that I also have mm-hmm. to do instead yeah. of like actually, you know, diving deep into it. Um, so I think that it's so important for people to just like read about your book and and read your book and, um, you know, understand more. And I think that would give a lot of more people peace Mm -hmm. of mind in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that, um, I know postpartum depression is very prevalent. I think a lot of people don't talk about it that much, but with a brain that changes so much right after a baby, like the feelings that you felt of worry and anxiety and all moms do in some regard, more or less. But do you feel that, you know, having an understanding would hopefully prevent more people, you know, going deeper into depression or coming out sooner or preventing that in general? Yeah, I think one big message for that I hope this book delivers is that that psychological distress is really a inherent part of new parenthood and uh that everyone experiences it that that I don't know anyone who has like gotten through to new parenthood without having experienced some like serious psychological distress whether it's from the fertility journey or pregnancy yeah. itself or childbirth or postpartum or the return to work and everything that yeah. comes with that. I mean, it's just like a, a piece of it. And, and it's, I, I think it's also like a piece of the neurobiological changes that we go through that this is a grueling process that is adaptive ultimately, but is really hard. And so I think that I, what I hope is that that message could propel us or compel us to do better in supporting all new parents mm-hmm. and that we know that better support leads to better mental health outcomes um, in parenthood. And so I, I think it's really important at that level. And also I, I do think that this research into the parental brain is going to help us to better understand, you know, the the various causes of postpartum mood and anxiety disorders and the best way to treat them. Why do you think there hasn't been more research like previously, or why do you think there hasn't been more information yeah. out um, in the past? It's a great question. So I think the research is like the the reason why there hasn't been more research is kind of multi-pronged. You know, for one thing, women were like widely left out of research, research that men yeah. were like considered to be the default human. And, and <laughs> so women weren't, weren't studied a whole lot or haven't been studied a whole lot. And particularly in pregnancy, they were, um, it was really hard. It has been really hard to study pregnancy because of the perceived scientific challenges of doing so, but also because of risk to, to the pregnant body, um, that is starting to change. There's new, new like parameters that have been and, and and incentives introduced by um like federal agencies that oversee research funding but the bigger question is like why haven't we talked about it more and mm-hmm. and i think i mean this is like a major message of the book that it's because we have this other other story which tells us that we have what we what we need that we have this maternal instinct that is innate in all of us that is automatic and that is distinctly female and so we're like biologically destined to have babies and therefore we we can we can handle it and any mm-hmm. any struggle that comes in that process is like just the result of like faulty wiring and wow yeah, yeah. and and you know that's a message also that we've just is like so widely ingrained in our 
in our society from like our clinical, how our clinical care is designed to like how our social policies are made and just how we talk to one another about what, or what we don't say about what it means to become a parent. And I think that that story has got really gotten in the way for a long time um, of, of telling this one, which is the truth. (laughs) Right. Um, Has there been any research on the male brain that the, uh, when they become a parent, does the male brain have any alterations whatsoever? Yeah, actually uh, quite a bit. And, and that's, like a big message here too, that fathers and other non-gestational parents, they, their brains change a lot. Um, but the key point here is that, you know, I, I talk about the two things that, that change the parental brain being hormones and experience, like exposure to to your baby experience, caring for them directly. And fathers also go through hormonal changes as like fatherhood approaches. There's evidence that they experience drops in testosterone. They experience spikes in oxytocin when they interact with their babies that are very similar to what mothers experience. And they also have changes to their prolactin system, which we typically think of as a milk making hormone, but it's <laughs> it's in fathers too and, and is involved in bonding. And and so they're kind of pri- their brains are also sort of primed then to receive to receive their babies and the their babies like also shape their brains too there's changes in the activity in in the key caregiving brain regions and their connectivity and now we have new research that shows just like with mothers that there's significant structural changes in fathers brains also well wow, that's really cool yeah yeah, I was going to ask you about the hormone um, part and kind of what that does to your brain in, in a sense. Yeah, we talk so much about hormones during pregnancy, right? You but have not like... how it affects your brain. It's exactly. just like you don't really know what where they right. are, what they're doing and right. like how I mean, they I, affect you, you know. I say this in the book that when I was, I don't know how, what, how these look now, but when I was pregnant, I had like a app on my phone tracking my pregnancy that literally mm-hmm. used like an image of a woman's body that was cut off at the neck. So like <laughs> they gave all these details about the body, but nothing about the brain. And the reality is, is that all of those things we talk about, estrogen, progesterone, oxytocin, prolactin, cortisol are also acting on the brain. Mm-hmm. And and what they're doing, you know, the, the, uh, the re- way researchers talk about it is that they are are priming the brain they're like getting it ready and making it more plastic to then you know be kind of deluged by a baby's cues and you know everything that all of the things that you think of when you think of a newborn (laughs) how they smell and and like their little coos and how they Mm -hmm. look and the intensity of their needs all of that is like shaping the brain over time what changes would you hope for that come out of your uh, the writing of your book? Okay, so, so paid leave for starters, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like I, I that should we be have... a non-negotiable for right. non-starter. Exactly. Yeah, we have all of the evidence already that we need paid leave and that it is something essential. That it is really essential health care in itself. Um, but I, the science adds to it, certainly, that this is a time of major upheaval for the brain, and we need time to adapt. Pa- all parents need that, not only gestational parents. Um, and that uh, paid leave is also associated with better mental health outcomes over time. Something that we don't talk about enough is how this this time of life for, for all parents um, 
is kind of like this critical window um, into their long-term mental and physical health that like things that happen to you during this time of life, partly because of its effects on your brain can shape your health over the whole rest of your life. And wow. so we need to think of it as, as like a time that needs to be protected where we need support um, to help it go as well as possible, both for our baby's outcomes, but also for our own. So paid leave is a big one. Another one is um, improvements to our clinical care. You know, most postpartum gestational parents get one appointment at six weeks and many people don't even get that. And wow. um, it's doesn't have to be that way. It's kind of a wasteland in terms right. of care. <laughs> yeah. And and compared to our other high-income countries, um, it's like dramatically less than what other parents receive. Wow. Um, so we need to do better on that front. We need to do better in, in screening people for risk factors for postpartum mood and anxiety disorders and providing them with the support that they need. Um, and... You know, ultimately, I think a lot of one big outcome I hope comes from this book is just in changing how we talk about this time of life. I really like to make the comparison to the teenage years. Mm -hmm. I know there's research that says that the changes that happen during um, new parenthood are very similar in terms of the scope and scale to what happens during adolescence. Wow. And the teenage brain research is a little bit farther ahead. And we've taken that research and we've used it to change things like school start times and mm -hmm. disciplinary practices and public health messaging around substance use and other risky behaviors in adolescence. We've also like taken it to teens themselves. We've given them the information about their brain to help them understand what they're going through and what, right. and to help their parents understand them. And I think we need a similar conversation around the parental brain to like give this information to new parents and also to the people who care about them yeah. to help them um, get supported in the best way they can. So would you say um, that someone postpartum um, having a more stressful environment, whether that's from paid leave, whether that's uh, a single parent, like what negative impacts could that potentially create for future? Like you say, like what happens during this time could affect you years down the line. Yeah. So one, one that we kind of know about is that if you, if you have stressful circumstances, I mean, significant, not just like day-to-day yeah. -day stress, but <laughs> right. significant, but you know, significant financial stress, or if you're in a, an abusive relationship or something like that, that you know, that is a risk factor during pregnancy for you to, you're at higher risk of developing a postpartum mood and anxiety disorder. Mm. And, and we know that people who develop a, a, a postpartum depression, for example, in the postpartum period, even if they've never been had dealt with depression before, they're more likely to experience future episodes of okay. depression. So it's like kind of like a compounding fa factor, right. I guess that like, how your health goes during that time of life can affect your mental health over, over the long haul. And there are, there are physical pieces of that too, you know, just in terms of like diabetes and hypertension and cardiac health, the, the, that, that window of time can shape your naturally, you know, shape your long-term health. Wow. That's so interesting. And I would love to see change for women postpartum paid leave is like a non-starter in my yeah. opinion healthcare needs to to be better like you said with with clinic clinically and i think um you know just knowing what the impacts are is 
like just a starter to even yeah. get the conversation to be um, had in the first place. Um, are you optimistic about like how the future of the medical community treats mothers? Have you seen any changes um, since you've been a mom and maybe since you've written the book? Yeah, I have. I mean, I, I think one thing to your last point too is we so often think of pregnancy or treat pregnancy like it's like a self-contained like episode like right and deliver once, it, you're done yeah yes exactly <laughs> and rather than like seeing it as a developmental stage of life which is mm -hmm. what like this this book and this science shows is that your your brain has changed for the long term and and pregnancy is the start of that <laughs> and wow. and um i do think that we're starting to get that um more you know there are there are is are you know big pushes toward improvements in maternal health and and um and particularly you know we like continue to make gains in awareness around postpartum mood and anxiety disorders i it's pretty like depressing that we've gotten so close to paid leave in the last few years and that it it you know has failed in washington mm -hmm. But I, you know, writing this book definitely has exposed me to more of the people who are working on that effort. And that's awesome. I do think like it's long, slow progress, but we are making progress. I mean, that makes me happy. And I, I feel like I'm a feminist at heart. And I, I, yeah, I think it's bullshit that it's even like a topic that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And, and, you know, I cite this in the book, we are one of six countries in the world that do not have paid leave for mothers. And the other most, you know, there are two of those countries you can, two of those other countries you can see on the map and three of them are tiny island nations. Wow. And that, that, <laughs> that's our peer group when it comes to this. I mean, we it, we are a real outlier. My club, my professional team has been so amazing. The first thing they told me was when I told them I was pregnant was don't worry, you're paid leave. And I was like, why would I were I had no idea that that was actually um, a thing. And when I right. asked about it and like learned more, I was at, like shocked. So yeah. I'm so grateful that, you know, my club did that. But it was eye opening to know that that's not like a guarantee in, in that right, regard. Right. Absolutely. How has the process of writing this book, Mother Brain, affected the way you parent your boys? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I there's one piece of this that I think about really all the time. Um, and well, I guess I'll taste I'll say two things. I mean, one of you know, we we get so much external <laughs> advice these days about mm -hmm. indirect or indirect about how to parent. Like social media is full of accounts trying mm -hmm. to tell you what to do. And it can be pretty overwhelming, I think. And, and one thing I learned in writing this book is that like when I'm struggling to figure out kind of what to do as a mother or what my children need, that really like what I need to do is like, look at them. <laughs> like, <laughs> like not, not, I can like read as much as I need to of that, all of that other stuff, but the answer is in looking at them and that cool. knowing that like my brain has like adapted in a way to help me to like understand their mental states and and That's like good emotions yeah, yeah and what they need and and so you know not that there's not value in what other people have to say but ultimately it's my child who can who can teach me and i, I guess the second thing i'd say is just that it's it's given me a lot of like give it, it helped me to give myself a lot more room 
for mistakes because what the science tells me is that like I'm not supposed to know (laughs) what to do that like I have to learn and part of learning is making mistakes and figuring out how to do it better next time yeah well, it's really, really good advice. Um, speaking of advice, I have twins who are 10 months. What uh, advice do you have for me? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, Is it doubled? Like, is it my brain going through double the changes because I have two? You know, it's a really good question. I mean, one of the, I haven't seen any twin studies, but that would be a fascinating thing to look at. I think, um, you know, there are studies that look at at particularly mothering in different contexts and how that af- affects the brain differently. Like there are studies that compare the brains of mothers whose children were in the NICU com- and those who yeah. were not, who were full gestational age and, and show like a more intense period of activity that researchers ha- attributed to like them, like working hard, harder right. to, to read their baby's cues because their baby's cues were even more limited, you know, right. and Both then my babies were in the NICU. Yeah. <laughs> I should have trained my left foot in soccer. Yeah. <laughs> I should have been just kidding. Go right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do think it would be fascinating to look at also because I don't know if like, you know, I have two children who are not twins who have very different needs and very different personalities. Cool. And yeah. I do like really feel like I do believe that like my brain works in different ways to understand each them. them. And That's cool. Each of them. And so for you, I don't know what that <laughs> would mean for you, like having to learn both at the same time, but I'm sure it would be fascinating. I study. feel like, I feel like I, um, yeah, I mean, you just saying that I can, they're starting to get different personalities yeah. and, and different needs. And I think one's crying right now, but um, I can hear, but I, but just, um, you know, kind of seeing that and then you saying that is actually like really cool because I can look back and think of times that I've, you know, you need this, you need this. Okay. You know, now like what's next um, type of thing. But um, yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder, I wish there were some twin studies. I bet Um, we'll get it. I bet we'll get it. I mean, I think it's something that's so cool in the science, which that um, this is like a very like bi-directional change. Like, Mm -hmm. so we talk a lot about how how we parent our kids can shape their brain development over time, right? But we don't talk enough about how our kids arrive with like their own stuff, their own genes, their own like sense of sense of agency and personalities and right. and that all of that also shapes our brain. Like they are shaping <laughs> us as well. And right. um that's I think cool. that's really cool to think about and something we don't talk about enough. Like we're talk, we talk as if there's like these formulas for parenting. If you do, if you say these scripts to them, then you'll get right. these particular outcomes. And that's just not how it works. Right. Well, that's such good advice. Cause I can't, I mean, it, just even on social media, just like, yeah. you know, don't put your kid in timeout. You should do this when they're upset. Right. Say these things, not these right. things. And I'm just like, I, I, it's so funny when I was pregnant, I was like, I'm not going to read. I don't want any input. Like I know this, no one's going to prepare me for this. Um, and obviously 
looking back, like I wish I read your book. I think that would be the most critical one. But besides that, like I didn't want advice on this or that. Like I just kind of wanted to have my own experience, yeah, and yeah. which sounds probably crazy. But um, I get it. And I guess like I read a little bit, but like not in depth to the fact where I was like, okay, I feel so prepared because I didn't want to have this expectation and then it be the complete opposite yeah. and feel like like mm. just loss is the same loss that I would have felt yeah. reading or without reading. You're on the edge of the toddler years. So like, yeah, no, I maybe mean, I should read a like, book is what you're saying. <laughs> well, I mean, I just think it's so, it's so like easy to go looking for that advice. And also right. like some of it is really great. And some of it is totally frustrating right. because your toddler is not like the toddlers they're talking about, right. you know, and, True. and I, I, you know, I read a lot of all of that advice yeah. and tried it and, and, you know, discarded a lot of it and then yeah. stuck with what has worked for me. So I, I think there's like value in it. It's just that none of it is prescriptive to like your right. particular child necessarily. And so it's good to know that like, if something's not working for your kid, it doesn't necessarily mean that you failed at it or that something's wrong with them or with you. Like it just might be that that's like not the thing that works for them and you need to try something else. That's such good advice. I love that. Um, I'm going to remember that. Um, so at the end of all my podcasts, I always ask like what your mom goal is for this week. So um, oh. what is your mom goal for this week? Yeah, that's a good <laughs> question. I am facing down like a month when my husband is going to be traveling a lot. And so I'll mm. be on my own. And I would say like my mom goal is like calm, <laughs> like, <laughs> keeping the calm, being keeping calm in the face of all of that, you know, when the pressure feels higher on me. Thank you so much. I, um, I hope everyone reads your book and kind of whether they're preparing for pregnancy or right after or years after or whatever I think whether you're advising your kids or you have kids um, it's so important so um, thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for your time thank you I really appreciate it I absolutely loved my conversation with Chelsea I advise everyone to get her book my mom goal for this week is to stay calm just like Chelsea's and to manage my time a little bit because Casey is in Montana and I'm by myself after the nanny leaves. See you next week. This has been Mom Goals with Allie Long. Please like, rate, and review. Mom Goals is a Gallery Media Group production.